0: Hey, just wanted to say God bless you again for listening. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to subscribe. Give us five stars and a nice review. It really helps. And we need all the help we can get. Tom Bukovac was there the other day. Before I get into him, I wanted to say thanks again to Cathead Vodka out of Jackson, Mississippi. We love them because of their vodka, but also because of their heart for live music and live musicians. Check them out at catheaddistillery.com and Cathead Vodka on Instagram. When I grow up, I want to beat Tom Bukovac, or at least I want to play like him. He's one of the kindest, big-hearted dudes and one of my favorite guitar players on the whole planet. I hope you don't mind two guys laughing a bunch because that's what you're getting here. Here's the best thing to come out of Cleveland, Ohio, Tom Bukovac. All right, look at us. Look at right. us in front of the fire, Tom Bukovac.
1: You got a nice fire going.
0: My brother, how are you?
1: Doing good, man. Glad to have you over, buddy. man. Yeah, thank you.
0: We are at yeah. Shea Bukovac, yeah. and you just showed me a crazy awesome piece of gear.
1: Oh.
0: What was that called?
1: The the unicorn of the rotating speaker family. <laughs> <laughs> it's called the Yamaha RA200.
0: Man, I'd never seen one of those. You said David Gilmore? Yeah, they were made friend? in the 70s.
1: 220 pounds of Japanese glory. <laughs> And Gilmore used them late '70s through early '80s. And man, just standing in front of one of those things is a party for your ears, isn't it?
0: Dude, I couldn't. I mean, I asked you, what amp are you running that through? Because I didn't see anything. It's like, no, 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 that's it. Self-contained.
1: I've always been a sucker for any kind of spinning speaker. Oh yeah, It's it's a big thing with me.
0: Even if you spin it about around your head? Like yeah, that sometimes kind of, I
1: grab my amps and just spin them around. Which is, yeah, yeah. you know, which for a 100-rod yeah.
0: a head is it's a little difficult. <laughs> so you were born in the magic Cleveland, Ohio area.
1: Wait, you got somebody else. That sheet's wrong. What?
0: Oh crap, let me go to the second page. You were born in Afghanistan? I'm sorry, man. That is nowhere close to Cleveland.
1: <laughs> you did do. Wrong word. Word. No, man. Yeah, I came from uh snowy north, man, and uh man, I I lived there for 24 years. And I moved here in 92 before the boom. Yeah. Right. Like man, not I don't know what your question is going to be, but I really don't care i'm moving i'm moving on i guess i could just throw this away so what kind of shoes are
0: those those are cool man i like those
1: well yeah speaking of that i thought this was gonna be a visual thing so i went and had my hair done and everything i didn't i meant to say
0: that the tuxedo was not necessary but man you look strapping downright dashing
1: yes so all right yeah 92 let me tell you a little a lot of people ask about nashville right like what What you know? Everyone knows the Nashville now, which is super crowded, super congested. It's not quite L.A. or anything. It's on the way, but it's on the way, right? So,
0: is it? It's more like Atlanta to me.
1: And it's still an amazing place that that I that I think is a wonderful place. And I'll probably live here the rest of my life with jaunts to other places. But it when in '92, I was I was just an idiot, twenty-four year old kid. And I remember thinking, man, this place is the best kept secret. Yeah. Nobody knows about it. Everything you went to do, no lines, no, no waiting. Man. There was just a ton of uh, room, space, parking lots were massive. You remember?
0: Yeah, dude.
1: And and uh, it, it was like, I kept thinking to myself, why doesn't everybody know about this place? You know, all this great music going on and, and uh, all that shit. And, and uh. Why doesn't everybody know about Nashville? And then, sure enough, man, by by you know mid two thousands, it was already.
0: You know, and I'm not
1: a I'm not a native, so I can't complain. Well, you've been here a long time. Here yeah. a long time, but I do miss. You know, the thing I miss about the original Nashville that I, that I moved here for. Well that that was the way Nashville was when I moved here was just the good old boys man. There was yep. there was not a lot of these like truly southern people around anymore. Like oh no. I'm not going to use the word redneck, you know, because that's kind of a bad word, but Peter I miss, boy, I miss uh, the rednecks. I mean, yep. I miss the uh the sort of like super sweetheart country people, simple people yep. that were around a lot back in those days. Everywhere you went you run into these sweet southern people, and I—that's yeah. when I first fell in love with the South. And I was like, "Man, the people aren't like this where I grew up in Cleveland. Man, they're cool people, but it's a different kind of thing. Yeah, it's the, it's a uh,
0: little I, more standoffish, maybe. Totally, yeah. yeah.
1: And and I've always been a sucker for the whole southern charm thing, man. I love I love the South,
0: dude. Getting called "hun" and "darling" oh, by dude. women that you have no idea, dude, dude.
1: When you're up in Cleveland, and you try to talk to waiters and stuff the way you talk. They think yeah. you're gay or something, you know? right? Like, you know, they think you're like. You know, uh, or they think you've got some kind of... Uh, Ulterior in- motives. Interior, interior motives. <laughs> I'm such an idiot. Okay.
0: Well, we are indoors, so <laughs> yeah, if we true. were outdoors, it would be an exterior motive. I
1: just love I love the whole yeah. simple southern thing, man. Even I mean, when
0: somebody honks and flips you off, they're smiling.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you got the... Uh, I don't know, man. It's just like I've lect- lived here longer than i lived up in cleveland and i consider myself to be southern now oh yeah i'm just by default you know i just
0: dude i've been here 30 33 years i think 32 and yeah this is home man yes absolutely yeah it's great it's weird now i mean we had to make do a will and everything yes and amy's from mississippi so she has family there she has family in florida yes i have family in Nebraska. It's like, what are we going to do with our oh, ashes, dude. man? Just put oh, them in a shoebox. <laughs> killer. To the next. Like, I never thought I'd have had to have that conversation. No,
1: but you southern man.
0: I'm a gentleman. A
1: gentleman.
0: So why Nashville?
1: Well, you know, it, it, obviously, because the, the, the opportunities here are amazing. They still are, man. Yeah. You know that hasn't changed. There's still, if you're a musician, there's just a ton of opportunities here, right? You you can't argue that. I mean, yeah. I mean, I got a road gig the first six months I moved here. And I was just an idiot kid, green as could be. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know anybody.
0: Who was that? Was that?
1: Uh, the guy in MCA named Lionel Cartwright. He was kind of a Ricky Skaggs type kind of guy. He was great. But, you know, I mean, I was... I'd never been... Hey, hey, that might go. be success yeah. call. Guess what I forgot to <laughs> shut off. <laughs> yeah, he... You know... I was like, I had never been on a tour bus or anything. I yeah. was 24, 250 bucks a gig, man. I thought I was, because where, where we grew up in Cleveland, we couldn't, the only time we could ever make 100 bucks a gig was on a New Year's Eve gig or something, you know. I had to wear a tux for that, See? you know.
0: But you've got one. Yeah. you well, the same I actually, one?
1: I borrowed the keyboard player's tux, and he was like 5'8". I'm 6'2". <laughs>
0: Pants come up to your knees.
1: Yeah. It was, you think I'm joking, but that was true. I mean, it was... It was rough times, man. We were broke, man. But know? it was fun. It was fun. And we we played these endless club gigs, you know, like hours, man. You'd play for three one-hour sets, man, and from like 10 o'clock till 2.30 in the morning. Yeah. And man, from 60 bucks at the end of it, your ears are just shot, man, just loud as hell. and. You know what i mean it was like stuff for kids
0: 2 30 in the morning you still got it now it's time to load out
1: oh dude
0: and then unload again when you oh get my home god and, oh uh, dude
1: you know i'm all about it and then you had like uh I, my ears were already shot by the time i was in my early 20s like tinnitus full-on yeah. rain because of years of club gigs you know oh, man. we didn't wear ear protection dude. Know, like headphones nothing
0: well, if it's too loud, you're too old.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Loudest bands I've ever been in were those bands. As a matter of even to this day, you
0: I know? think like a like a Fender Twin. Yeah, with that super clean sound, yeah, can yeah. feel at least way way louder than a Marshall. or Oh something. yeah,
1: yeah. When it, when you can feel it tingling in your ears because it's so loud and your yeah. eardrums about to bust. That's yeah. when
0: you reach over and turn it up a little louder yeah. and just leer at the keyboard player. <laughs> the lead singer. <laughs> well, so, how did you get into the studio stuff?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I was a road guy forever, right? And uh, right around 2000, 1999, I suppose, I I was... Uh, you know, it's hard to break into the studios thing, right? Yeah. And you've got to kind of, like, start at the bottom and really do a lot of horrible sessions and sort of work your way into right. the real stuff. Start with these terrible demos and people's basement studios. But I remember I was playing with Winona Judd in the mid-90s yeah. tour, and then I toured with John Fogarty in like in 2000, opening for Tina Turner across Europe. And I, after, right after that, I I made a decision to stone cold quit touring and just focus on being a studio guy, and I thought... And this is gonna suck because I'm not gonna make any money at first, and it's gonna be a majorly hard transition. But I didn't have a family back in those days or whatever, so it was easy to, you know, just take the chance. And so I, I, I remember sitting down in a hotel room one night, writing on a piece of paper, pros, cons, yeah, seriously, yeah, and I was like. I literally did that. I mean, that's very mature. Well, you know, I mean, I was scared to death. I was yeah, like, man, yeah. I, I can't quit this good gig, you know, and, and just be. A, but, man, the first year, I I made more money being a studio guy than I did. And it was immediate. Sort of. Uh, I remember Russ Paul said to me during that time. I remember I was you know was coming up in the studio, and he was like, "Man, I've never seen a guy with a more meteoric rise to the top." <laughs> Russell Paul said that. Dude,
0: that's cute. <laughs> he's like my that's idol. high praise. Yeah, man. he's my idol. Yeah.
1: You know, so I was like, "Wow, okay." I, I, I don't, I don't know how it happened, but man, I think maybe, you know, I'm not one to sit and reflect about this type of stuff. You know, you know, your best
0: gig is your next gig. Yeah, yeah. And,
1: but but I think maybe if I was going to be as bold as to say, I think at that time the kind of shit that I was doing on guitar. Was was really what people were looking for? Yeah. I kind of, I wasn't a chicken picker and not a twanger kind of guy. Was
0: that also the time of three refrigerator racks full of Brent, it, like Brent that, Rowan and those? Yeah, that guys? part had
1: just sort of ended. Right? Okay, <clears throat> and and because
0: um, I've never known you to be that. No, guy.
1: I've never done that. But 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 I, I was coming in with the sort of like somber rock and roll tones, you know, like the atmosphere and the the echoey kind of yeah. Uh, sort of you know i mean i could uh, i was always been a rock and roll guy and i could bring yeah. that and i could fake some country shit like some twang and stuff mm-hmm. but but i I sort of you know I, I was listening to radiohead and stuff like that and Pink yeah, yeah. floyd and i sort of used a lot of that stuff and and it, it actually fit right into a lot of the stuff that people were doing that was like pre Coldplay play and yeah all that and then the cold play things sort were of happened. but but you know it just seemed like it was a good time and I mean I think that that sort of worked you know and uh, and a lot of people still do that kind of stuff I've sort of tried to move on from that now like I yeah I heard so much of that and did so much of that that I just kind of it kind of grosses me out anymore when people just use echo pedals and make swell well swelling uh, swelling noises wails I mean sometimes it still works but I did so much of that that I kind of like, all I want to do now is just plug a guitar right into an amp and just get a raunchy tone and Dude, no effects. I think you know? the
0: best effect you can ever have is that chord between your guitar yes, and that amp. totally. I love yes, that. Yes, totally. Well, I mean, touring, let me, well, let's do studio first. Yeah. Okay, Music Row Magazine, five-time winner, Session Guitarist of the Year. ACM, eight-time nominee, three-time winner. Wow. Played on five or six hundred albums wow. with such lightweights as Willie Nelson, Bob Seger, Stephen Tyler, Stevie Nicks, Don Henley, every country act in Nashville, and who knows how many stinking demos. Oh, man. That's a pretty good list.
1: I had to get out of bed for all that <laughs> shit. That's what I always think about. <laughs> I made it to those sessions. <laughs> With hangovers and whatever. Dude, double Greyhounds from, what was that, shuffleboard joint? <laughs> yeah, it's Melrose. Melrose, man. yeah. Man, we had, we had a few down there, didn't we?
0: So, uh, I mean,
1: what do you, is that just bizarre to think? Oh, it's crazy. That's That list is you? It's crazy, man. I mean, because, you know, I, I'm, you know Oddly Free, the guitar Absolutely. player? Absolutely. He's a dear friend, man. We do a lot of gigs together. And him and I are, are one of the things that, that I think is really funny about our relationship is that we, we talk to each other. Like the, we're the 13 year old boys in our bedroom. Yeah. Still, we, we are still, I got a really yeah. funny story actually, if you wanted to go here. yeah <laughs> But, um, man, you know, like Audley and I were, we're doing a gig the other day, this Willie Nelson tribute thing. You you think you were there? Yeah. It, I think so. Bridgestone? Yeah. Yeah. So at the rehearsals, you know, all these celebrities are coming and we're in the house band, you know, right. and, uh, yeah, all these celebrities were coming. It's this endless stream of celebrities. And and uh, it, like, it, got, it was so funny after a while. like you know, Jimmy Hendrix could have walked through the door. Yeah. Oh, Jimmy's here too. Yeah. It was so like endless. And at one point, we're all just sitting up on the stage on a break in between the songs. And Bob Seger came walking in because he was playing next door at the Bridgestone. And Bob walks right over to me. He's like, dude, hey, man, because I've played on a few of his records. Yeah. And he was... He just walked right over to me. And then he walked away and talked to other people and oddly looks at me like a 13-year-old oh, boy and dude. he goes, can you believe? What's that? It was, was you know, was that? That, that guy who you were, an idol of yours, you know, listened to his records in your room when you your kids just walked over to you. You know, it's like...
0: Had his cassette in your car hey, in high yeah, school. Man, you know yeah. what I
1: mean? It's like, it's sur- that part of it is surreal. Mm-hmm. Like, and then you realize, you know, the the the, the sort of grown-up part of me goes... These are all just guys, man. Yeah. Total normal dudes. You know, when I was playing with Walsh, you know, he was a childhood idol of mine. Absolutely. You know? and, yeah. And these guys were just people, man. And, and we all know that. They, you know, they're, they're rock stars in our minds when we are kids, but they're just people and they have the same problems. Yeah. and Same insecurities. That we all do, you know. But, man... Every once in a while, like, some surreal moment like that will happen, and I'll just be like, wow, man, this is just crazy to me. I can't believe yeah, this. Because, you know, if I would have stayed in Cleveland, I probably would have just ended up a total alcoholic, playing in, you know, crap bars. And, yeah. You know what I mean? But but I just, the only thing I did right was that I just moved to a place where there was some opportunity.
0: Dude, It's uh, many famous people as you meet, especially now, as long as you've been here, it's like, do you ever get to the studio the first day of the, steven tyler album and and whoever's i don't even know who produced that was it dan Dan, maybe and dan goes hey steven you know tom yeah i mean your eyes just light up like
1: well he was super cool by the way oh i'm sure steven's very cool but um yeah you know of course man i mean and i'm known as the question guy right oh yeah that my whole thing always been like i am fearless about Asking probing questions to, your, to people.
0: My favorites are your top five list.
1: Oh, the top five list. Top five yeah. over- most Man, guitar players. My whole thing <laughs> is to get on a session, play some music, get to the point where everyone's like happy, and you know you don't want to pull this too early. Right. You get to the point where everybody's cool and the track's feeling good, and everybody's we're all peers at that point. Yeah. And then and then you go, all right, Steven. Tell me about so-and-so. Like, tell me how you guys got the kick drum sound on back in the saddle. Oh, yeah. All this shit that I've always wondered. Yeah. Oh, and then he goes and launches into this amazing story. Like, wow, we had these big amps, man, and we used to set the amp up right facing the kick drum, and then we would, we would mic the kick drum, play it through the amps so that Mike was picking up the bass drum and the amps, and all this amazing stuff that they used to do in the studio. You know Back in the saddle, not to go off on a Stephen Tyler tangent, but back in the saddle, I yeah. say my top, one of my top five most amazing recordings yeah. in the history of rock and roll. Oh yeah, this song blows my mind. This mic's dripping. Is me, it dripping? It so, and uh, I asked Stephen, "Tell me anything you can remember about doing that." And he was like, "He goes, man. I, I go, did you do all those horse sounds and all, you know those whining? Oh yeah, yeah. He goes, yeah, I did all that. And he goes, because he goes, I remember at one point." taping a bunch of tambourines to my boots and stomping around the room and i took a la i set up a, a circle of neumann mics and i was swinging a lasso around in the studio that's the kind of shit they used to do on those sessions it's so <laughs> fucking rock and roll man so awesome is it not
0: can i do that again no no no. no oh, i think we got it man i mean oh, yeah God. that's that would probably Amazing. not be uh not be thought of oh man in uh
1: it's so Session cool today. I mean that's oh. the kind of shit I live for hearing those stories yeah. from those guys that were actually there you know it, it,
0: it's the same thing as as writing it's like I was telling Amy the other day it's like you know with all the publishing companies moving downtown and off of Music yeah. Row and stuff and I said I remember being in the Almo Irving building and I was waiting for my co-writer I got there early and they put me in this room Yeah, and I just put my stuff down and got my guitar out and sat on a couch yes and then when my co-writer came she brought him in opened the door and she went oh honey that's where roger miller used to sit and it was just like oh, all these tears came and down. i was just so blown away man and, and you hear just even that kind of stuff oh, and man. i don't know if the next generation has that kind of reverence you know and so, I mean, and so, yeah, hearing great. those kind of stories, oh, yeah. it's just like...
1: That's what I live for. Oh, man. That's my favorite part of working with these people, because I'm, you know, it's it's just, I'm still 13, man. Yeah. I never... Go, and I'm also still thinking about those club gigs I played in Cleveland, you know? Yeah. That's like, very fresh in my mind. Man. And not in a
0: mean uh, way, but you're yeah, kind of going, man, like, if they could see me now. Totally. I'm asking yeah. Steven Tyler about exactly. the bass drum sound. <laughs> And not one of them would be surprised. So do, on those kind of sessions, I mean, do you prepare for each artist the same no, way?
1: No, man. You, there's no preparation. You, you can't do that, you right? Because you, you don't, don't know what the set, the music, do no what you're going to be doing. Uh, I, there, every once in a while, they'll send you a song or two previous to a session. The only time that ever happens is if there's some particular thing that has to be worked out. Right. Like Julian Raymond is a great producer guy that I work with a lot. He'll. He'll say, "Learn this solo," or, or you know, m- okay. make sure you know how to do all this because you know he doesn't want to waste time on the session. He's right. going to sit and figure it out. You yeah, know? It, but that's pretty rare. That only happens once in a great while. Most of the time, you just walk in and you just start playing, man. You know.
0: So do you take the same five or six amps, ten yeah, or twelve guitars, much, man, every um, session? I mean,
1: the cartridge rig that I use has got you know three or four amps. Yeah. About a dozen guitars all in a case and some pedals, and I take all that. Got you know an acoustic twelve string baritone, bazooki. No, not <laughs> not. Kenny Chesney calls it a bazooka, <laughs> <laughs> and no one corrects him. Right, yeah. <laughs> I, love, I love that. It's so that cute. That
0: would be in Russ Paul's case. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> a hey, play that bazooka! Play that bazooka!
0: <laughs> so I mean, so you is is the session work? Is there? I mean. Is well, it yes and no because every guy in the world, like me, has a Pro Tools rig in his house? I mean, man, so is
1: it? I just feel like there's there's like a million people that want to make records. There's good. There's just no money anymore. Yeah, the desire to make records is never.
0: Well, I was going to ask you that you know. about the Julian Raymond thing. Does he yeah. ask you? He doesn't want to waste time. Is that because, a lot of that because oh, yeah, budgets are down? Totally. Yeah,
1: budget, there's so much budget constraints now. I mean, it's it's kind of. It's kind of killing it's killed a lot of the fun, you know, because everything is such such a tight yeah budget now, you know they want to get so much done, and that's fine, I mean, I get it because there's just no money coming down from record labels anymore. Anyway. everyone pays for everything themselves, you yep, yeah, so I totally understand it, you yeah, know? um if somebody's gonna pay you a thousand bucks anymore to work for a day, you're gonna work your fucking <laughs> ass off. It used to be like that was like you could you could make it fifteen hundred bucks a day back in the in the old days and hardly do anything yeah but now if somebody's gonna give you a thousand bucks man you're gonna be there for gonna, 14 hours you're gonna play a million parts yeah you're gonna you know you're gonna work your ass off yeah which is you know i always felt like those in the old days that money was ludicrous anyway it seemed like too much you know what i mean yeah you know what i mean i always knew there was something wrong with that
0: <laughs> well but yet, but i mean you know i have Two Diamond Awards at my house from Dixie Chicks Records. Yeah. And can you imagine we were selling 10 million copies, oh. physical copies of records? Where now, I mean, God bless them, Florida Georgia Lion got, I think, the first ever Diamond Download Award. Who ever thought that would be a Isn't thing?
1: Amazing? Don't you think in the near future there won't even be records anymore? Yeah. Like I mean, the concept of they don't even make records.
0: It, I think you're going to have to... Try to reinvent cool like they are with genuine albums. Yes. You know, I remember uh, Cheap Trick (laughs) on their last album. Had the best-selling eight-track, they were number one in like seventy countries because their eight-track. They were the only person that year that put out an eight-track. That's awesome. Good idea. But yeah, that I think I think you're right. I yeah. think it's it's going to be downloads and yeah. then whatever's cool, like right. the album, right. or maybe the eight-track will come back. Right. I who knows, man? I heard the singles coming back. Is it? It's like I don't have a cassette player anymore. I do. Do you really? Oh, hell yeah. I got I guess, well, no, I guess I do. I guess I do. Yeah.
1: We still we still spend a lot of vinyl around here. I know it's sort of like hipster cool to do that, but I I've, I've always done that. I, Dude, I, I love it. My wife can't understand
0: yeah. why I keep buying CDs, and mm-hmm. I go
1: because well, they sound great. liner notes, yeah, and they sound great. They sound great. Yeah, they do sound great. Dude, it still I, beats any download or oh yeah, streaming. Oh yeah, oh
0: yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. So you you mentioned touring. Winona, Faith, John Fogarty, Vince Gill, Joe Walsh. Yep. Guys trigger
1: like hippie. huh? The trigger oh, I know man. they're yeah, on there too. Yeah, That was a, that was a couple years saga. That was cool. <laughs> Touring in a van as a grown man. Man, that was hard. Yeah. God.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay, riddle me this. Guys like John Fogarty, Vince Gill, Joe Walsh. Yes, you're a great guitar player. They're great guitar players. Yeah. Why do they why would they bring another guitar player? I in? can
1: tell you. I've always thought about this. I mean, here's the thing. I don't know. I never planned this because I'm not smart enough to ever plan this. But I've worked with tons of guitar players. I mean, we made all those Keith Urban records in the early days, yeah. you know. Uh, guitar players are not threatened by me. It's weird. Like, I'm not a competitive guy. Yeah. Uh, I Man, I've built a whole, like, sort of career out of being a support guy. Mm-hmm. Like, I can shred, and I can play some shit and yeah. step out if I need to. But my first inclination is to play, when, when I play with another guitar player, is what are you playing, and then what can I do to make that even cooler? Just to augment. And I'm not just saying this, dude. I yeah. really, really believe this, man. And I think... I don't come out and tell people that, but yeah. I think they can pick up on that, and and I feel like I, that, that you know some guitar players are kind of territorial sure. and sort of competitive and caddy by nature, and I think that people can sort of sense I'm not coming at it from that angle, man. You know, I I I mean, if somebody wants to get in a gunfight with me, I can I can fight them. Yeah, but that is not my thing. Not I, I don't I don't. Uh, I'm 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 like I'm like man. You're playing solo. I'm gonna play some killer rhythm. Like Vince Gill, he says he loves having me in the band. The only guy that ever played rhythm in this band, but really plays rhythm. Right. You know, like I'll sit there all night long and play rhythm, and I don't have to have solos. Yeah. I I like playing rhythm. I feel like rhythm guitar is a dying art form. Oh, dude. You know, especially
0: now with. It's funny, like on Sirius XM and stuff. When Malcolm Young died. All of a sudden, everybody in the world was interested in rhythm guitar. rhythm Hell yeah. it's like he was like the last best whatever no, of you know it?
1: I love playing rhythm, I do man
0: that's very cool, so, what do you like doing better? Studio or touring
1: studio yeah here's why it's just playing live gigs is a young man's game, man. You know what I mean? I'm getting to the age now where I feel like a total poser just standing up on stage. You know, nobody wants to see some 50-year-old guy up there playing. You know, it's like, you know what I mean? mean? It's like, even when I was younger, I had a bit of a problem with it. But now I'm like, the only time I ever feel comfortable anymore playing live is when I'm really playing something. Yeah. If, If I'm really going for something, like, and I'm really playing something, then I feel cool. Yeah. But but if I'm, like, just standing up there, like, just, just goofing around, playing nothing, I, I don't I don't need to be up on the stage. You know, it's like, I, I don't know. I think I'm actually probably reaching the end of my whole really? tour. Yeah, and, and it, it's fine. I, I'm not even, but in the studio, I've always felt super comfortable yeah. and, and at home. Here's why. Because the studio, it doesn't matter. You can't pose in the studio, man. It doesn't right. matter what clothes you wear. It doesn't matter how cool you are all that matters is what's going on to that tape and it's an equal level playing field for everyone you know you got guys turn up to sessions and you know they look like they might be the air conditioning guy yeah but they'll go sit down and play some amazing shit yeah and it's all that matters man it's all and that's what I love about the studio it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a a, for me it's just super comfortable place yeah I've always loved it you know
0: do you still like you were saying? If somebody's going to pay you a thousand bucks, you're going to yeah, work your balls off. Totally. You, do you still feel? Does that help your creativity? Because you're now forced to come up with yeah, more man. parts.
1: I, I don't. The only thing that's changed for me is that when I was younger, I could assimilate like a million songs in a day. But yeah. right now, at this age, I'm pretty good for about five songs. And then my mind just... I can't take it anymore. It all starts sounding the same to me. That's
0: what I was going to ask you. You know,
1: like... like I'm really into about five songs where I can really be creative. I can really come up with some cool parts. I feel like I can eat the song. Like, digest the song. Really get to know it. Milk everything I can out of it. And then... And then create something cool. But after that point, after about five songs, I'm done.
0: You told me also, when you were three sessions a day, plus maybe a Burned, demo man. for a friend. You Burned. told me always make sure you're doing a session as a writer on a Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. Cause by Thursday or Friday, yeah. you're just scratching your head, trying to figure out if totally. you've already played this. Totally. This week. No,
1: it's, yeah. And those six o'clock sessions, unless you bring the booze out <laughs> are pretty useless. If you're doing some raunchy music and you want to get a real live feel, yeah. bring the booze out get some cats that like to drink a little bit and you're play gonna get something cool play some stones. yeah you're gonna yeah. get something cool but but try to do like brain music at six right. o'clock no
0: or just another one four five of. Yeah, no it ain't gonna happen yeah it ain't gonna happen well you brought up trigger hippie what uh what was that
1: it was cool man it was uh it was the first time i've ever been in a jam band i yeah. didn't even know about that world i i like i had i'm not like a you know kind of have zero hippie in me whatsoever, right. and and uh, like I didn't know that that whole jam band world was.
0: Well, who all was in that band?
1: Well, was Joan Osborne, who I've right. always loved. Yeah, and Steve Gorman, founding member of Black Crows. Crows,
0: and a great sports radio guy.
1: Great sports radio guy, and the smartest person I've ever known in my entire life. His intelligence scares me. Really? Oh my god! And you're welcome, Steve. <laughs> I do mean that. If you ever listen to. And then we had uh, a guy named Nick Goverick, who's a dear friend of mine, bass player, who opened an amazing restaurant called the Kitchen West. You need to you need to go to. I need to Kitchen West. And uh, and then the drummer or the uh, keyboard player was this guy Jackie Green, uh, who's kind of a legend in the jam band world. You know? Okay. He played with Grateful Dead and all that. And um, Phil Lesh. Yeah. But so it was you know i'd never been a part of that world and i was amazed you know because i've always loved like derek trucks and he's like my favorite oh, dude, guitar player, yeah you know? derek trucks is the lebron james of guitar <laughs> <laughs> is he not <laughs> he's the best living guitar player yeah in my humble opinion dude yeah man and i've gotten to know him a little bit been around him on a few gigs so he's the nicest cat yeah in the world what a sweet guy so anyway, yeah, that band was cool. Uh, it was harrowing traveling conditions, sketchy hotels, and no money, but it was a really good experience because we were playing some nasty rock and roll in all of those clubs that I always was never cool cool enough to play right, in. When right, I was right. growing up, you know what I mean? Yeah. All the cool like rock and roll bars all across the U.S. It was great. Did
0: you guys play all the jam festivals and totally. stuff too?
1: We did all that stuff. It was great. And it was a good, it was a good band. It was like... A, on a good night that band could really rise up. On a bad night, we were pretty lame. Really? And the crowd wasn't into it. But man, on magical nights when we had a good crowd and we were all in the mood to play, I man, that band could could raise up off the ground.
0: I suppose, yeah, when it's super improvisational, the crowd totally. crowd really oh, matters.
1: It was hugely uh affected by what was going on out there, you know. But man, I, I just think that whole jam band world is super cool. I mean not only is it alive and well, and there's a lot of money to be made in that in that world for people, you know, selling merch and records, and it's just a cool scene, man. Yeah, it's a cool scene. I s- totally see why people are into that. You know, I didn't I didn't know that it was so awesome.
0: You don't have to wear your tux.
1: No, you could, no tux needed. Just, you don't even have to shower. You could just go.
0: <laughs> you could just reapply your patchouli and head to the gig.
1: <laughs> it was cool. You could play as loud as you want, long as you want. Don't have to worry about words and lyrics, you know, (laughs) all that pesky stuff. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So were you like, I suppose if you were in a van pulling a trailer, you were pretty gear limited, huh? Dude,
1: we had one guy that was our tour manager. He did our, he set up all the gear, ran sound and then drove. Dude, this guy would not sleep for three days at a time. I was going to say. And we, it was, that's what, that's when I was in the back of of a Ford Econoline van at four in the morning halfway through a drive to chicago with a guy at the wheel who hasn't slept in three days Mm -hmm. and i got two kids yeah and i'm just thinking oh my god and you're gonna
0: maybe break even on this whole run
1: what am i doing what am i doing but i don't regret it yeah you know i did it for a couple years and it was fun i learned a lot and that's really that's all that matters yeah you know i learned a lot
0: what did you learn from a second gear used mm, music consignment okay. store?
1: Well, I'll tell you what happened, man. <laughs> I got so burned out being a session guy that I couldn't take it anymore. And now, I, I why, retired, man. Real
0: quick, why why is that? Because just it's, because just it's, just it's a all hard job and it's Yeah.
1: And and my mind wasn't right, man. I was really burned, man. Yeah. I was not coming at it from the right angle. I was overworked, freaked out my wife's father and uh, parents came to visit us one christmas and the old man is a pretty deep thinker he goes i hear you're not sleeping and i go yeah i'm not sleeping he goes what's the matter i go i go i don't know there's something i got to do with my life that i that i uh i can't just die a session player i can't huh. i can't do that he's like well, what do you want to do and I said, man, you well, you know, I always love buying and selling old guitars. I want, I've always wanted to have a music store. He goes, well, fucking do it. Yeah. And I was like, I know, man. I've been looking for some some spaces. He goes, just fucking do it. And within a month, man, I had rented a building, had this shit in place to have a store. People were calling me for sessions. I said, I can't do it. Really? At the store. Yeah. And, you know, again, I'm not smart enough to ever figure any of this shit out on my own. I, it was all an accident. I took three years off. I really never thought I was going to do it again. The, really? The whole, uh, seriously. And I was cool with it. Yeah. But a couple of people sort of came out of the woods after three years. I closed the shop down because it, it just, I was getting home 10 minutes before the kids go to bed every yeah. night, and my wife put up with it for three years, and after a while it was just like, are you really making enough money to, yeah. to justify missing all this? And I, and I shut it down. And your I'll wife- do another one. And I will do another one because I it's, it's definitely in the plans. But
0: well, plus your wife being the beautiful and talented Sarah Buxton, yeah. I'm sure she probably had things to do too. Totally,
1: absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, you know, a couple of people started calling again. Man, you want to come do some sessions? I was like, ah, I was nervous to even come back to it. Yeah, I mean, it was I kind of, was so rusty. And
0: she uh, still listened to music during that yeah, time. Yeah,
1: but you know, suit I like. Yeah. You know. and and but. Man, when I came back after it shook the dust off a little bit, I, I realized, man, I love doing this. Yeah. And, I, and I'm really still, I'm still good at it. And I and I appreciate it so much more now than I did back in the day when I was like killing it. I mean, I, I'm so much more in the right headspace. Like, yeah. I'm really happy to see my old friends really thankful to be playing music, man. Yeah. And, and man, the positive thing has just been like, Pro- i wish i would have had one ounce of that back in the day right i mean i was too burned out
0: and the process has probably changed just enough to yeah. make you really go kind of got to keep you on your toes a little totally,
1: bit man and and it's like it's great man and i'm doing like tons of sessions now and i'm like thrilled to be there yeah which is amazing because like you should have seen how fried i was dude it was bad mm-hmm. i couldn't take it anymore yeah my first question when I walk through the door, how many songs? Oh, yeah. Like, what the hell do I got to do to get exactly. out Exactly. <laughs> that is not a good place to be, right? <laughs> now I'm like, the last song ends, and I'm like, oh, man, let's do another song. Let's do another one. You know?
0: It's, what, else you, seriously, what else you got? Yeah. It's weird. Are people still doing demos with full nah, bands? No, demos are dead, man. Yeah, that's but, what I thought. But,
1: but they should have been dead. And I can, if you want... Them. Oh, dude. Can I go off on that for Absolute. two seconds? Have okay. have at it. I said this in another interview recently I hope I'm not repeating myself but okay I did tons of demos for years and I was always I talked about this with George okay on the George thing yeah 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 it the demo thing was big in Nashville for a long time before the track guy came along right yeah, yeah. and then you got a bunch of guys in a room demoing these songs and they weren't really into it they didn't really care unless it was like a writer or somebody that they really liked you know the, the the people would bring in these songs and they would just get butchered by these guys that didn 't give a shit, yeah, just trying to get the money and get out and the 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 advent of the track guy was inevitable because yeah. because what ends up happening is that the writers get more what they're really looking for on the writing session. You walk out of the writing session with a full demo, yeah, and that's fucking great that's, that's why great.
0: I, that's why i started that's why I got pro Tools. Yeah. Because me and whoever would write a song. Yes. And you record it on your phone, and neither one of you knows the song. Totally. But you're both play- And then we'd go to the session, and you'd have the chart, and you'd go, Hey, Bar, is this a two or a five?
1: Yeah, yeah. You
0: know, <laughs> because one of you is playing one, <laughs> and one of you is playing the other. It's a two. All right. It's a two, everybody. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, you know, it's good for the writer because it's cheaper. They don't have to pay for demos anymore. It's a waste of money anyway. Yeah. And uh now they got full demos when they leave the writing session, yep. and then sometimes you can take these templates that they did on the writing session, take them into a real studio, add some shit with some real players, yeah, make it even cooler
0: make it a record
1: and and man, that's awesome.
0: I tell you what though, man, it used to it still does just blow me away to have those five work tapes chartered out, go into a room Oh yeah, with guys like you and Greg and yeah, Pat and, yeah. and just and 3 hours later have 5 maybe 6 whole songs done yeah. and it went down like yeah. that and it's that was blur. dude it was freaking magic yeah
1: yeah when it goes right yeah when it goes right
0: well i mean everybody was you know, typically people were in a pretty good mood yeah, you know yeah. and well, you're
1: you're different you got a great personality and people love you cuz you're so <laughs> well, funny thanks. i mean a lot of these writers that were bringing songs you, you know they didn't really get the whole thing you got to be kind of as showman yeah,
0: yeah. You, you know
1: you gotta like get these guys going like you know that studio uh legends you oh yeah working there yep that place is a trip to me like it, it's a i worked there once in a while with dan and uh that's like the roughest crowd oh i bet i mean you can get as a musician yeah. a writer you can get eaten alive in that environment it's like a bunch of construction workers watching a hot chick one fight. Right. That's the kind of vibe that's in that place, right? If anybody shows a sign of weakness in there, they're There's done. There's blood in the water. Totally. Yeah. I mean, you've got to be a badass to even like, keep up with that crowd. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, man, I feel sorry for writers to come in there that don't have a lot of confidence because they'll just get eaten alive. Dude. You've got to come in there ballsy. Yeah. And, and you've got to tell the cats what you want because if you pussy around with them, they're just going to eat you alive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If you wait for a bass player to figure out what you want as a writer, oh, yeah. you may as well go home. Totally. That's why I totally. always thought it was so much easier to reel the band back in yeah. than to push the band back out. Totally. You know, it's yeah. like what you played was perfect. Can yeah. we dial it down a little bit instead of trying to make somebody go further?
1: Yeah, no, That's hard, never works. man. No. And there's very, it's, it's so important what you say over that talkback. Oh, dude. As you, That probably is the biggest learning curve for a writer. Yeah. Learning how to talk to cats. Yeah. And not piss them off. Oh, God. I'll tell there's you. so many landlines. Is there not?
0: There's a guitar player. I'm not going to say his name. He's a great player. Mm-hmm. But he can be a little persnickety. Mm-hmm. I had one song on the five song, you know, where you got five songs, and there's five different writers on every song, which is a complete cluster to begin with. And I was in there after this other girl, I can't even remember her name. This guitar player played something, and it was great, but it wasn't what she wanted. And she hit that talk back and went, um, guitar player. It's like... And I looked at her knowing that I was the next guy on this session. I was like, you couldn't even bother to learn the band's name, even if yes. you have to Ruined write it down. Oh, dude. And then when I got up there mm. to do my song.
1: They were already pissed. It was not good. Yeah, it's ugly.
0: Yeah. That's a really good point, man.
1: Dude, I mean, as a player, I mean, I've only got the other side of the glass perspective. Yeah. You know, you can see on a session when somebody says the wrong thing over to talk back. You can just see the air deflate oh, can, out of every player. And when they quit, their, their bodies are still there. But when they quit, it's like somebody flipped the switch off. Yep. Because here's the thing. All right. I've always said this, man. I, I couldn't believe this any more than I do. There's there's two qualifications a person has to have f- for me to follow him down a rabbit hole. hmm they either have to be super nice, right, or they have to be a genius. Okay, yeah. And if they don't have yeah. either one of those two things, it's gonna be a long day. I can't go. Yeah, I can't. Like, I'll I'll follow somebody down these crazy rabbit holes as long as they're super sweet. I don't care if they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, I'll, I'm like fun. Let's let's have this ride. Let's experiment. It's and and I, even if the guy's a total asshole, if I know he's a genius, yeah, I'm into it. I'm like okay. I'll go with you. Because you, know, you know he's seeing yes. something you're not. Yes. So. But if they don't have either one yeah. and they start saying stuff over the talk talkback that's not cool <laughs> I'm out man. Do you, I'm, have
0: a, do you have an example of something that's no. not? No, not <laughs> but, I don't want to know who it was okay. but like, like what would a scenario be? Oh yeah, don't, man like, don't like you just engage. said you know,
1: like there's all these things man like it, 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 musicians can sense even one ounce of condescending. Oh dude. When you start man. condescending Yep, it's over, dude. Yep, I don't care who it is. The the guys will just phone it <laughs> in, man. And 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 man, you can't go there. And you also can't be too pussy. You yeah. can't be all like, oh, that's great. You know? They like to be told a little bit what to do, but you got to do it yeah. the right way. It's kind of like a relationship with a, with a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I just joke. Like <laughs> when you. <laughs>
0: I've never asked a woman to use a Les Paul instead of a telly. I don't, so I don't know what you're getting at,
1: but yeah, but I mean, yeah, you know, and, and man, like <laughs> we're all okay. When, when the guys show up at 10 o'clock on any ordinary session day, they're all coffeeed up. They've been listening to some cool music on the way in. Yeah. They're ready to do something good. Yeah. As long as you don't fuck that up, they're going to give you something good.
0: I used to spend so much time for the morning session, especially on the set list. Yeah, because it's like, let's start out with something fun. Yeah, because just of that, what you just very you know, let's not start out with a song about grandma dying. Yeah, right. Ballad that's gonna bum. Let's start out with a fist banger. (laughs) Yeah,
1: right. There's a lot of psychology to it, and it, you know, man. Some of these people just don't know any better. They don't. They're not experienced enough to even know, and they, they don't really have any mal no intentions. They,
0: no, not they, at all. They
1: just don't know how. Right. To, I call it boardside manner.
0: Ah, it's, it's an old
1: saying. I mean, I'm not. I didn't invent that, but it's like, man, when you when you know how to talk to people over the talkback, yeah, and, and get the best out of them. That's what great producers do. Yep, they know how to say just the right thing to to motivate. To encourage musicians who, who can be jaded, you know, sort of people. But they know how to get the best out of them, man. And, and there's a lot of different ways to produce a record. Every producer has a different style. But in the end, one thing they all have in common, the great producers, is exactly what I just said. Yeah. They know how to, in their own way, drag something out of you.
0: Well, and you also have to know the room pretty quick, mm-hmm. You got to know, figure out that Greg's playing drums on this, and he's kind of in a bad mood today. Yeah, so yeah, just yeah.
1: No, it's just like walking into yep, a party. You, absolutely, you assess the room. You, you know, you. you you've but you know, here's the thing. Like I've been accused in the past of being a bit too uh, loudmouth. I'm very outspoken. Yeah, I mean, I want the project to be great.
0: Yeah. Well, your I'll, name's on it.
1: Uh, yeah, and I want. But here's my thing: if nobody is in control, yeah. I call it having the ball. Then I pick up the ball. Right. I, I'm waiting to see who's got the ball when yeah. I walk in the session. As long as I'm, I trust that somebody's got the ball, I'm cool with it. I'll sit there and play all day and gladly. And and but when there's nobody with the ball,
0: who should have the ball? Whoever. I mean, the producer. The
1: producer. You know, or, or the artist. Or it could be the engineer. It could be the writer. Whoever somebody should have the ball. Yeah. And and when no one has the ball. The Whole session goes to hell. Yeah, I hate it. God, I hate it. And when there's, I my sixth sense is that to, is when there's no ball, when somebody doesn't, I, I'm like, I got the fucking ball. Yeah, and then I start bossing everybody around because because I can't stand it. I well, can't it, stand th-
0: At that point, you don't even feel invested enough to tell the keyboard player what you played was great, but how about something like this Man. where if if you got the vision,
1: totally, then- and, and you got like. Yeah, man, these these sort of empty sessions where there's like nobody in control, and it's like, man, when you work with Don Was in the studio, he's got the fucking ball. I bet. He doesn't even have to say anything. Yeah. And he's got the ball. You know what I'm saying? It's like he just sits there, and you're like, that motherfucker's got the ball. <laughs>
0: He just looks at you. Dude, I that love that two-inch gap between the top of his no, glasses dude, and the I bottom of that. his hat.
1: I I I disrespect the living shit out of that. Yeah, I'm moving this mic stand. Sorry, it's no. just falling down. I know it. Okay, but Don is a classic example of a of a guy who just knows how to lead. Yeah, and he doesn't have to tell everybody everything. He he. Some producers are very hands on, very outspoken. Don's pretty soft spoken, but he. Man, it's just his whole spirit and his vibe is so encouraging and so cool. Yeah. He just makes you feel like you're a badass.
0: Well, that's what you say also about the condescension thing. I've never known anybody in any job, in any walk of life, on any given day that works better when you tell them they suck.
1: Yeah, right. It doesn't work.
0: And also, there's, there's the guy that tries to tell you how to play, and yet his specialty in life is he's a mechanic, and he's a fantastic mechanic. Exactly. But it's like, dude, why do you think we hire these great players? Because they're better than we are. Totally. It took me thirteen totally. seconds to figure that out.
1: I have a great story to illustrate that point perfectly. Okay, a mechanic? No, uh, <laughs> you know I've worked a lot with Dave Stewart. You really make sense. Oh guy, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, And I marvel at that guy because he's got so much shit going on. Yeah, he's got businesses. He's got he's got film companies. He's got record companies. He's got mm. He's making movies. He's got artists he's developing. He's got a million things going on. And he's juggling all this stuff. And I, and I, I remember one time in on a session at Blackbird, I sat down next to him and I said, Dude, how in the fuck do you have time to do all this shit? And he goes, he goes Tom, the reason you're here to play guitar is because you know what you're doing. I hire people all around me that are really good at what they do and I don't say anything. I just let them do their thing. And when you delegate like that, yeah. you, if, the people that suffer and struggle in life are the people that can't let go of any control. Uh, right? Yeah. I struggle with that. I'm a control freak in some ways. I I, I I feel like I would have been better served in life sometimes to just let go and yeah. like trust.
0: It's hard. It's hard, it's to, hard to do, man. Especially if it's something that's your baby. It's super hard to do. It's really man, hard.
1: Dave is such an inspiration in that regard. Man, he's he's like, he's just so in touch with that. Yeah. It's just cool, man. It's really cool. Hmm. It's really cool. He's a good dude. Is he? Oh, dude. I love that guy. Did you
0: ever ask about me? <laughs> I was, ever? I was,
1: I was totally. I ask him about you. Yeah. <laughs>
0: well just for a quick sec let, let's get back to your shop yeah how did you you're such a tone guy and you're such a uh, i don't know just a, you always have the coolest gear in the room Dude. how did you know what to what to bring home and what to leave at the store
1: oh man that was tough yeah, yeah because we, you know it's like yeah it's like it'd be like a person who had like an eating disorder working in a restaurant you know i yeah. mean it was like all this gear coming in there, and believe me, I mean, I've always been a horn swaggl.er You know, I made up that word as, as a sort of a person that's just constantly trading, buying, hey, selling, yeah. and haggling. I'm an old old school haggler. Art form to me, man. And 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 uh, man, you know, I always know another horn swaggl.er when I see one. Yes. You know, it's like it's it's a breed. I'm, I'm old school like that. But you know, so like. You know, I would always go into everybody else's store, and I thought, man, I'm looking looking for certain things, and you know, I try to find a cool instrument for a decent price or whatever. And I thought, man, if I start my own fucking store, maybe some cool shit will walk in, and it did. Yeah, not as much as I thought may, might really? work in, but but some shit did walk in, and 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 more. One of the cool things about it was that people would bring in shit to sell consigned. And I would have all these piles of pedals and amps and stuff. And I, if I wanted to, I could just take that shit, use it on a session, try it out. Stuff that uh, I would never, I never normally... I never thought about that. And never I would never normally like ever bother. Yeah. Some, I found some really cool stuff that way. Like, man, this thing's just sitting here. I might as well take and try it. Yeah. And I'd take it, and I'd be like, this is fucking cool. Or this sucks, or whatever. Right. I can and, see why i you know, I was enamored with the concept of the pedal before I opened the shop because... I thought, pedals are so cool, pedals are so cool. And then when you have the shop, it's like zillions of pedals <laughs> flooding at you. And After a while, it's like, pedals are meaningless. It's like, fuck pedals. Like, there's only a couple of good ones. Right.
0: Every other one's <laughs> yeah. a door jam. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, man. It's <That's> so funny.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't imagine. But you also said something about one thing you learned is that, first of all, musicians are broke.
1: Totally. fucking broke (laughs) I always knew they were broke but not to that extent yeah I mean these poor guys would sweetheart people would come into the store and sit and fall in love with an $80 pedal and I could tell they wanted the fucking thing and they can't swing it it's pitiful yeah and and, and like it didn't matter what I priced the shit at the price wasn't the issue no I mean my prices were low as hell yeah and nobody could buy it anyway because they just didn't have any money and I was like and then I started thinking why did I choose the brokest demographic of people in the world to try (laughs) to sell shit to I mean I love all these guys but (laughs) all this is is a day club for them to hang out with they're not going to buy anything you know and that's cool too but it's like I think I don't know maybe that answers the question of why there's only high end vintage and then there's also all this Pro pro Guitar Center type stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty much what sells. Yeah. Right? Working man's used gear, not yeah. so much, I don't think. I thought that would work. It kind of did work, but I don't know.
0: Dude, even the some of the stuff you see on uh, the internet, one certain store, which you mentioned earlier, which I also won't mention, but they yeah. claim to have... Stevie Ray Vaughan's actual tube screamer. Right. And they wanted $12,500 for it.
1: <laughs> and it sounds as shitty as every other tube screamer, Dude, Absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah, And I
0: go, does this yeah. come with a DNA sample yeah, and a letter right. of authenticity? And totally. will it make sure that I sound like Steve? No. It's like, well, who the crap would buy a $12,500 tube screamer? Oh, God.
1: It makes me, I think about stuff like that. We were doing that Willie gig the other day. I'm like, this is this is fucking Willie Nelson standing here. He's like two feet from me. And he's got that original guitar. Oh, uh, trigger? That, he, that And that original strap and that original amp. That amp. I mean, what the fuck do you think that guitar one day in the sad day when Willie moves on is worth? Oh, be- I know he's already promised it to the Smithsonian, which I think is a great idea. Oh,
0: that's cool. I didn't but, know that. But, I
1: mean, seriously... Would it surprise you if somebody paid ten million for no. a guitar? I mean,
0: it'd be like Ursay, the guy that owns the yeah, Colts. Right. You know, he's got Jerry Garcia's guitar, right. and it'll be one of those totally. guys. Yeah, five or ten million dollars.
1: I had a really funny story. I walked over to Willie got a break at the sound check, and I and I said, "Man, <laughs> can I ask you about the strap? You know, that funky old strap—red, <laughs> white, and blue—goes yeah, under the guitar. And it's, and it's all Red, dirty uh, and funky." And and I said, "I said, man, is that the original one of those, or is that like a replacement? Yeah. Or the original one?" He goes, "No." Nah. That's the original one. His wife was standing next to him. I've told this story to a few people, but I just thought it's hilarious. And, and I said, uh, I, "I mean, was it your idea to wrap it around your neck like that?" Because that's like a, like a Spanish thing, yeah, you know, like a gut string guy. He goes, "Yeah, I, I I did it the other way, and I got this big knot on my shoulder, you know." Hmm. And so, he, and but I said, how, "I said, do you remember where you got that strap?" And he said, "He said some some woman gave it to me on a tour a long time ago. And I don't remember who it was." And I said, uh, "How long you had that thing, man?" He goes, I don't know, 10, 15 years? And his wife's standing next to him, and she goes, 30 years? Time means nothing to him. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I love that he thought it was 10 years. Yeah. great. See, now I'm
0: going to tell that story to Amy because oh, she, she knows I have no sense of time. Oh, so, man. Dude, yeah. I met <laughs> Willie one time, BMI Awards. I got an award for something. So, you know, you have that metal hanging around your neck. Yeah, yeah. And it was the year, one of the years that Jeffrey Steele got rider of the year. Yeah. So we were heading from BMI to some little after hours soirée yeah. for Jeffrey, and I told Amy I said I got to go to the bathroom. And, you know, at the BMI's,
1: yeah,
0: in that parking lot, the bathrooms are up in the back. Yeah. So I'm heading up there, I, I got to go to the bathroom, and outside of the door is this rather large, serious-looking man, yeah. and he just kind of looks at me and looks at my award. I guess that was the all clear sign that yeah. I'm legit. Yeah. So I go in <laughs> and I see the back of the red-headed stranger at the urinal. Wow, okay. And I hear Voop, the zip of the pants yeah. and he turns around and he looks at me and he sees my medal and he goes, "How you doing, man?" and he sticks <laughs> his hand out. <laughs> I'm <laughs> like, oh, oh, man, this is truth or dare, man. I got yeah, a, yeah. one degree of separation from Willie's Willie's. Like, Willy's all Willy. right, he,
1: Oh, you shake that hand. Dude, you
0: got to. You got to. You got to shake that hand. Man. Just,
1: uh, He's the coolest, by the way. Dude. Is he not? You know what Matt Rowling said on that gig? Matt Rowling said something so genius. He goes, He goes, look at that guy. He goes, 85 years old. He goes, name anyone in any genre of music that's more universally loved than him.
0: Oh, man. No, there right? isn't anybody. I mean, I never yeah. even thought about that. Mm-mm.
1: But rappers love him. You know, everybody loves him. If yeah. you don't like Willie fucking Nelson, you've got some serious yeah. problems. Right? Yeah. I mean, I never even thought about that's that.
0: That's a really good, yeah. Dude, that's the kind of guy also that if he ever stopped, he would... He'd go to heaven in an instant.
1: Oh, what a legacy! Yeah. Fuck, man.
0: Yeah. Did tell us one quick story, and I know there aren't any of when you were with Joe Walsh and you guys were out with yeah. Tom Tom Petty. Yeah, man, that was great. I didn't realize that that was Petty's last tour. Yeah,
1: I didn't either. Nobody did. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, of course, yeah. but. Um, what was it like? Yeah. Oh man, it was great. I mean, um,
0: how many guitars does that band carry?
1: Yeah, we have a few, <laughs> but now. See, Joe was my childhood guitar idol. You know, because I oh, grew up dude, in Cleveland,
0: from Funk Forty Nine and that kind of stuff. Well, you know, yeah, in Cleveland, Cleveland he was the only guy yeah. who who
1: came out of Cleveland, and all my whole childhood was all Joe Walsh, man. Everything, everybody talking about Joe Walsh, Joe Walsh, Joe. And uh, man, you know, to ever just honestly get to meet the guy was yeah. an honor. Let alone play with him, you know. The only reason I got the gig is because Joe Vitali is oh yeah was an old friend of mine right we oh, okay. with joe a lot and when waddy Wachtel left the gig Vitaly said you got to get this guy you know and joe's like whatever so they they brought me in and and it didn't go very easily at first it was i don't think joe liked me very much in the in the early part of it but it ended up working out great see i came into the thing <laughs> with a very supporting role right like, like like when i listened to the board tapes and i was learning the songs like Waddy is a gunslinger. Yeah, he's like soloing over Joe's solos. Really? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, well, that's awesome, rock and roll cock out. Yeah. But when Joe Walsh was playing solo, I want to play rhythm, right? You know, and and uh, so I like I was kind of playing rhythm, you know, and, and playing kind of chill. And I and I I think Joe Walsh was wanting me to play out a little more. Okay. You know, and I, and I, yeah. I remember one time in the middle of the tour. Joe wanted to work up a new tune, you know, and he, it was something that we haven't been playing, The Confessor, right? Remember that song? The oh, Confessor? yeah. So he goes, come come into my dressing room and I'll show you what I'm playing. We can, we can play that. <laughs> so the next day at the sound check, That's a good imitation. You know, I, it, it, his, uh, room manager comes and gets me. He says, Joe wants to see you. So I go running in the dressing room and Joe's in there by himself and he's scrounging around and just catering, you know, and he's, he, uh, he goes, uh, He's got this shitty little amp and this his in his brand new Gretsch guitar and he's like it's all out of tune and, and he sits down and he and he plays this raunchy shit you know and it's awesome yeah and uh, he goes you got it and I'm like yeah I got it and uh he and he and we stood up and he goes he goes I just gotta tell you man you're really coming on strong and he gives me a big hug <laughs> it made my whole life you know and I go I go Joe man I feel like I came in here with the wrong approach man like I feel like I came in here like too supportive and he goes Mm. no he came in just right it's a learning curve (laughs) (laughs) and I was like oh man it's so good to hear because I just felt like I was failing you know Uh, that wasn't like cock out well especially when
0: you were at the very other end of the spectrum than Waddy was yeah
1: man and Waddy's amazing I love Waddy and he's such a badass and he he is epitomizes the rock and roll guitar player you know I epitomize the Nashville session guy <laughs> 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 yeah. so anyway he's that, it all worked out great and I'll tell you this man you know everything gets old after a while I mean even if you were if we were in the Beatles mm-hmm. after a while i would get old but every night we played just standing right next to Walsh as the bass drums are going. Dum, 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 dum. And he goes, he looks at me, arms together. Right. And he goes, "You ready? One, two, three, boom! Burnout." Nah. Both of us hitting that. Oh, boom, boom! Burnout nah. was such a fucking thrill, man. Dude, I mean, it, I it just makes me want to cry thinking about it. It was just so much, such a cool feeling.
0: You could just die with a smile no. on your face. I mean, because yeah. there
1: he is, the guy that wrote that shit yeah right there and he's like you ready one two three and he's you know man it's it's awesome man yeah <laughs> that 13 year old again Yeah, exactly that yes. 13 again man what a trip you know it does moments like like i talked to a friend of mine the other day who was at that show we played in that in uh cleveland and he was mm-hmm. an old high school buddy, and he said, "He goes, man, you know, I didn't talk to this guy very much. I haven't seen him in a long time." He goes, "I was at that show, Tommy. Man, what the fuck was that like, man?" He's yeah. like, "And I, and like, it's hard to put in words. Like, I, I'd forgotten about it. Like, I don't sit and think about that stuff. Yeah. You know, I'm on to the next thing. You know, but, but every once in a while, like, I'll sit with a couple of beers, and if the right moment strikes me, I'll like sit and reflect about some of the shit, and I, and I." I always think I wish I had a video camera mounted on my head yeah. that I could record some of these moments. Some of the shit that happens on these sessions, you can't even talk about it. Yeah. After it's over with, no one would ever believe you. And I wish I could just pull these little flashcards out and play things for people. Check this out. Half you know, of that
0: stuff, though, because... It's not anybody else's life. They don't. They don't understand how no, really amazing
1: that is. Totally. And then it makes you look at other people and you go, like, what is it like to be LeBron James? Absolutely. You know, like, how, how could anybody ever put that in words? Yeah. How could he ever explain what it must feel like to be him? What's it not like? that I'm comparing myself? No, to no, LeBron but yeah, James.
0: no, but yeah, no. Or what's it like it, to deliver a baby? Totally. You know, what I mean, that yeah. stuff is just—it's all exceptional. It's all stuff. amazing, yeah. Yeah. And
1: all you can do is. Ask questions, which I try to do, Yeah. just to try to get in people's heads. I, I want to know what it feels like to do awesome things, man. And, and guitar is the only thing that I could ever do. I could never. I'm not good at fixing stuff, right? Stuff. I'm, not you know, I'm not mechanically inclined. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, as you can tell by this podcast. <laughs> you know, like, but I've always, I put the ten thousand hours in, man. Yeah, I did that. Yep. And, and I probably put in twice that actually. I mean, I've always been incessant about practicing
0: it see that's why i'm so so glad to know that you're happy and you're back wow, because if, if you man. would have left the session because i mean i was around you a little bit and i yeah. know you were pretty burned out yeah. and if you would have not made it back
1: oh, man and
0: to know that your first love was gone forever yeah, that man. would have really that's,
1: sucked yeah but i've always loved you man you too buddy you're a good dude
0: well you've said it all man have we i love you bud
1: Love you, man. Is that, say, is that enough yeah, material for you? Let's it? go say hi to your wife. Come on. I, think I think she already left.